Now, I'm sure that you have noticed, uh, but Christmas actually has a lot of challenges. And and I'm not talking about the so-called war on Christmas, you know, whether we say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays or whether or not our Christmas cards even mention Jesus or whether or not our governmental buildings have nativity scenes. No, no, I'm talking about our own Christmas challenges. Besides the fact that billions around the world will celebrate Christmas without giving a thought um, to Christmas, even we who know Jesus, more those of us who call him Savior, are a bit confused about Christmas. Did you know, for example, there is no mention of a Christmas tree at the first nativity? Oh, well, you probably knew that one. But did you know that there's no mention of Mary riding a donkey to Bethlehem? In fact, there's no mention of animals at all. No cattle lowing while the baby sleeps, no ox and ass. Wanted to say that word all week. (laughs) I mean, we sing it. Keeping time. No little drummer boy either. I know our nativity sets have them, but the wise men were probably not at the manger, and there were probably actually more than three. We get three from the gifts they brought, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I could go on, no mention of angels um, at the nativity. Uh, they, they were out with the shepherds in the fields, and then they returned to heaven. Oh, which means uh, he, he was probably not even born on December 25th. That's winter. Most agree that Jesus was probably born in the spring. Now, I'm not trying to bash Christmas, mind you, but it is true that Christmas has some problems. Yes, it is true that Jesus was probably born in the spring of the year, more likely March or April. Yes, it is true that December 25th was chosen by the church to compete with the pagan Roman holiday, which celebrated the birth of their sun god. Yes, it is true that Christmas trees are of pagan origin in in Germany. Yes, it's true that Santa Claus is the derivation of Saint Nick, who was born in Turkey and used to do nice things for poor um, people and children and had nothing to do with a fat man or a red suit or flying reindeer or even the North Pole. And of course, there's the commercialism of the holiday that such that perfect pagans can celebrate the day without ever even thinking uh, of Jesus. In fact, a lot of those really sappy videos that are going around that we're sharing on Facebook, I don't know, I would just draw your attention to the number of them that never even mention Jesus. Sure, there are problems with Christmas, but I'm not really even talking about all that either. I mean, personally, as a family, we celebrate Christmas, we put up a Christmas tree, we give gifts, and yes, we do it on December 25th, largely because I want to stay married. (laughs) The problem I'm referring to relates to this second Sunday of Advent, a day on which we celebrate peace. Now, last week it was Hope, I can handle that one. Next week is joy, uh, then love, but this week is peace. That seems to be a problem. Yes, in Luke chapter two, we read of, uh, of the two, uh, 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 one of the two accounts of the birth of Jesus in the gospel narratives. The other, of course, is in the book of Matthew. It, it's a great story with which we are quite familiar. We read it every Christmas morning, uh, before we open our gifts. Read it with me this morning. Luke chapter 
2, verse 1 says this. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was, to, this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from a city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of uh, of David in, in order to register along with Mary who was engaged with them and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn grandson. Oh, I, I'm sorry. It doesn't say grandson. How did that get up there? <laughs> okay, that's silly. Moving right along. He's a good-looking boy. <laughs> and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Now, there's a, an emotion for Christmas. Fright. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. That's more like it. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There will be a sign, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the uh, angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, now listen to these words, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And there, to me, is the problem for the serious student of the Bible. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased? Really? Second Sunday of Advent, we're, we're celebrating peace? What in, the world is, what in the world is he talking about? That sounds like a premature announcement to me. I mean, didn't this angelic choir jump the gun just a bit? Wasn't this the wrong time? Didn't they mean that actually for later when Jesus comes back a second time and establishes his kingdom of righteousness and peace on earth? If, if we are to celebrate peace on this second Sunday of Advent, meaning if, if the first Advent of Christ right here that we just read about, the birth of Christ resulted in a heavenly host of, of angels proclaiming peace on earth among men, I only have one question, where in the world is it? Well, it dominates our headlines today. What about global warming and the worldwide conflict that that topic brings, such that we can be scolded by a 16-year-old Scandinavian teenager? Did anyone discuss politics at Thanksgiving a couple of weeks ago? Or is that off limits? What about the great peace being experienced currently between Democrats and Republicans? Capitalists and socialists, the U.S. and, well, about everybody. <laughs> How about gun control and gun violence? The police officer in Houston who responded yesterday to a domestic violence dispute and was shot and, and killed in, in the naval station. Peace? Really? 
Have you watched the news lately? I could go on. Uh, those all do dominate our current headlines. If we were to expand um, our look over the past year and, and across the world, we could talk about war and hunger and famine and disease and, well, you name it, anything except, well, peace. Dr. Robert Oppenheimer, the physicist who supervised the creation of the first atomic bomb, that, that, that brings just kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling, doesn't it? Appeared before a congressional subcommittee. He was asked if there was any defense against this awesome new weapon. Certainly was his reply, and that is, and he paused, looking over the hushed, expectant audience, and softly replied, peace. That's the answer. Tell that to Iran and North Korea. Peace has always been the answer, but as Dr. Billy Graham once pointed out, in the last 4,000 years, there have been less than 300 years of peace. 1919, after World War I, when the whole world was killing each other, President Woodrow Wilson said of his brainchild, the League of Nations is the only hope of mankind. World War II followed 20 years later. After World War II, the United Nations was formed in 1945 with the motto, to have succeeding generations free from the scourge of war. That's worked well. Since its inception, there has not been one day of global peace. I read somewhere that there are dozens of peace monuments all over Washington, D.C. You see, we build one after every war. September 21st was established in 1981 as the International Day of Peace. I find that intriguing because on that day, everyone around the world is supposed to stop fighting and observe a day of peace. But September 22nd, it's okay to pick up your guns again. The only peace the world knows is that brief glorious moment when everyone stops to reload. You see, the peace the world brings is external, it's temporary, it's not real, it's not lasting, it's a sham, it's fake. You can get people to put down their guns but you can't get them to, keep, uh, to stop hating each other you might be able to get them to quit hitting, but they're still raging. You can get them to stop yelling and screaming, but you can't make them love each other. You might even be able to reduce the crime rate by locking everyone up, but you can't do anything about the depravity of the heart. And you can't do anything about this inner gnawing sense of unrest. You know, that thing that wakes you up in the middle of the night as you think about this or that person or family member. While the world cries for peace, there is no peace. So here's my question. What in the world did the angels mean? And the truth is, you don't have to go to a global or even national level to find a lack of peace. Some of you do not even have to go outside of your own homes and beyond your own hearts to know that there is no peace. And so people try to distract themselves. 
That's what Christmas is about. They distract themselves from that gnawing sense of unrest with work or fun or activity or gifts. Stay busy at all costs because you slow down for even a minute, you'll have to deal with the lack of peace. Others lose themselves in things and for a while it works. The new car, it'll make you forget for, for a while and then it returns the gnawing sense of unrest. Some try to medicate the lack of peace with drugs or alcohol or antidepressants in, in our country at an all-time high. How's that working? Others try to numb it with some illicit activity or relationship. The truth is, things do not seem very peaceful. So in what way has Jesus become and been the Prince of Peace? Remember that? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, talking about this boy who would come and the government will rest on his shoulders. Remember that? In what way has Jesus been the prince of peace? In what way did his first coming bring this peace among men that we just read? Even Jesus himself said, do not think I came to bring peace. What? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That's confusing. This does not sound quite right. Start hanging swords from our Christmas trees. Seems at odds with what Isaiah and the angels proclaimed. What is this peace on earth? It gets a little more confusing when Jesus was getting ready to leave. He told his disciples the passage that uh, that Cam read, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. Well, which is it, Jesus, peace or a sword? Sure, it's true that holiday season, this holiday season in Western countries brings a false sense of peace and security and warmth and joy and holly jolly white Christmas and all that, but where is this peace that the angels promised the night that Jesus was born? It seems this... The, the scriptures and the angels might, just suggesting, might have a different kind of peace in mind. You see, we have a tendency to think of peace as a cessation or absence of conflict, and maybe, just maybe, peace comes by entering the conflict. We have a tendency to think that peace is external, which results when everyone gets along and no one says anything mean to anyone else and we stop shooting each other. Is that peace? I'm suggesting that's not the kind that the scripture was speaking about. I am suggesting the angels were not, in fact, mistaken. The birth of Jesus did bring peace on earth. Not only that, Roll the clock forward about 33 and a half years from that night. In Luke chapter 19, we read Luke 2, Luke 19, we come to the triumphal entry. You may remember what that is. It was that brief moment when the, the people saw Jesus for who he really was. They, they saw him as their Messiah. He rode into Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The people began praising him, spreading palm branches in their coats before him. And this is what they said, very interestingly, in Luke chapter 19. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now listen, 
peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Did you catch that? That sounds a, a little bit like an awful lot like what the angel said when Jesus was born. With one significant difference. When Jesus came to earth, not only did it mean peace supposedly on earth, but also peace in heaven. What is this peace Jesus brought? What is this peace that we celebrate on the second Sunday of Advent? Three thoughts that I briefly want to share with you as we consider this biblical concept of peace. And as you would expect... Our world has hijacked Christmas to make it something that it isn't because we think that Christmas ought to result in peace with each other. And we'll just stuff everything and like each other for a month or two. Maybe that's not it at all. Maybe that's the result of the peace that Jesus brought. But maybe that isn't it at all. Let's start with this. I've already made reference to it, but first, peace is not the absence of conflict or trouble or trial or tribulation or challenge. Look at some verses with me. In John 16, as he was preparing his disciples for his immediate departure, we read John 14, my peace I leave with you. He said this, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. The peace that Jesus came to give has nothing to do, you see, with conflict or tribulation in the world. In the Gospels, in fact, in the entire New Testament, we find if we choose to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, we will then bring conflict face trials and persecution from religious people, from governing authorities, and even from our own families. Remember that sword he came to bring? He said that in Matthew chapter 10. Do do, do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Again, sounds a bit at odds with Christmas cheer. It sounds a little different than what the angels proclaim, but Jesus then goes on to say, for I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Think about it. The world thinks peace on earth means that one time of the year when I'm supposed to be nice to my family members. Holly, jolly, nice when I smile at people and act like I like them. Smile at people before I get in my car and try and run them off the road. When I say Merry Christmas to them before I elbow my way to Black Friday or try to beat them to the checkout aisle. When I drop my extra change in the red bucket outside the stores to the sound of the tinkling of the bell before I get the bills in January and wish I had the change back. It's obvious the peace Jesus came to bring has nothing to do with these temporary feelings that we are able to muster up of goodwill toward men. In fact, it has nothing to do at all with the absence of conflict. Choosing to follow Jesus brings conflict. And in Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about peace in verse 1. We'll get that in a minute. Then two verses later, he says, and not only that, but we also exult in our tribulations. How can you go from talking about peace in verse 1 to exulting in your tribulations in verse 3? Because the peace that Jesus brings is not external. The external peace that the the world seeks, especially at this time of the year. This fake peace is not real. It is temporary. It's a facade. 
you can choose not to shoot someone and still hate their guts. That is not peace. I've made this uh, uh, comparison before. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. He did not say, blessed are the peacekeepers. You, you ever stop to think about that? We all know people who are peacekeepers. And all the peacekeepers do is try to keep the peace at all costs. We even call the NATO forces that we send into a country where there's civil war or maybe two countries are fighting. We even call them what? Peacekeeping forces. It's not peacemaking forces because they don't bring the combatants to the table. They just get, the, get everybody to put their guns down because they have the bigger guns. It's not peace. One last verse. I love this one, Jesus. I mean, just throwing it in for extra credit. In Romans 16, we read these words, the God of peace. That's interesting. God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That sense doesn't even go together. Does it sound like an absence of conflict? Our God is a God of war. He's going to crush Satan. He's a God of war in that he wages war against evil. And he will ultimately prevail. He will be the victor. And that is a clue to what peace really means. Which brings us to the second thing I want to say about peace. If it's not external, it must be something else. And it is. It's internal. Now, again, going back to the farewell discourse, John 14 to 16, uh, Jesus had it with his disciples. The night he washed their feet, gave them the uh, first communion. And, uh, the night he was betrayed, arrested, and tried, he said these words, John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. That's fake. Do I give to you? Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Jesus is about to be arrested. He's about to be beaten, mocked, and, and scourged, and crucified. And he says, my peace I leave with you. No thanks. I, I, I'll find it somewhere else. Until we realize the peace Jesus brings is internal, it's a matter of the heart and a matter of the mind. Notice it is not, it, it is a non-troubled, non-fearful heart. Does that sound good? It's not controlling the people around you. This is the peace that Jesus came to bring, a peace that affects the inside, that brings a calmness, a confidence, a courage, a, an, an assurance in the face of scourging and mocking and crucifixion. My peace I leave with you. No fear, no trouble. Paul said it this way, be anxious for nothing, but by everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard what? Your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you see? It is an internal peace that affects the heart, affects the mind, and by the way, most of you know that Paul wrote that verse from prison. <laughs> Absence of conflict? No way. His way of life brought conflict. But did Paul have peace? You bet. Because it is an internal, untouchable, untouchable unquenchable peace. See, it really doesn't matter what is going on out here. This is not the peace the angels proclaimed. It doesn't matter if we're at war with Syria or Afghanistan or ISIS. 
It doesn't matter if bombs are going off in Baghdad or Boone. We have an internal peace that the world cannot touch. You say, okay, then how do I get that? Well, we know what it isn't. It isn't an absence of conflict. Uh, we know that it's not external. We know that it's internal, which means it's unaffected by outward circumstances. But what is it brings us to the third thing I want to share with you, the definition of biblical peace, the peace that Jesus came to bring. You see, we must not, we cannot be confused about this. If it is not peace treaties, if it is not laying down our guns, I'm not saying take up your guns. If it is not laying, up our, uh, laying down our guns, if it is not even necessarily smiling and saying Merry Christmas, do you hear me? What is it? Thank you. <laughs> Someone say yes. Two passages we need to examine as we seek the answer. The first very familiar one, most important, found in Romans 5.1. I referenced this earlier. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. From this passage, we see the definition of Advent peace, namely this. Peace is reconciliation with God. You see, it isn't ultimately about this. It is ultimately about this, which has an impact on this. We can fight for peace on September 21st and get everybody to lay down their guns. If we don't have peace here, we're going to pick up our guns again on September 22nd, even in our homes. Peace is reconciliation with God that comes by justification, uh, comes through justification by faith. Having been justified, we have peace with God this is the peace that Jesus came to bring. This is Christmas peace. This is what the angels proclaim. You see, there's something we must understand. Before Jesus came, there was no peace with God. There was conflict. There was war. There was a war between us and God. If you drop down to verse 10 of Romans 5, we read these words. For if while we were enemies... What? That's what we were. We were enemies... While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. I want you to understand we were enemies of God. And while we were, God is the one who made the peace overture. He is the one who extended the olive branch. He extended peace to us. He's the one that did something about the fact that we were shaking our fists in his face and saying, we hate you. And he said, that's okay, I love you. He sent a son to a manger, more than a manger. He sent him to a cross so that through his death we might be reconciled, we can have peace with God. That's why at, uh, at his birth, the declaration was made by the angelic host, peace on earth. That's why at the triumphal entry, which began as Passion Week, the people declared unknowingly that there was actually peace in heaven. Because you need to understand how important this is. We were enemies with God. We were, as it were, at war with him. And if we are at war with God, let me ask you a question. Who do you think is going to win that war? We were bound for destruction. God's wrath was rightfully poised to be unleashed against us, but Jesus, his son, brought peace. He brought reconciliation. He appeased God's wrath, turned it away. The biblical term is propitiation. We don't use the term so much anymore. 
It's an important concept. God's wrath has been appeased by the death of his son. Not only that, we have been justified. That is, we have been declared righteous and have received the imputed righteousness of Christ. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So when God looks at us, he no longer sees foul, filthy enemies. He sees us clothed in the righteousness of his own son. I have been declared righteous. Talk about a declaration of peace. You want to see a peace monument? Look at a cross. How is this righteousness produced very quickly through the first Christmas story? Through a baby being born? Necessary, but that's not exactly it. That's just the beginning of the story. The second passage isn't found in Colossians chapter 1. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of deity is the idea, to dwell in Christ, that is, at the virgin birth, at the incarnation, Jesus becoming flesh. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile, there's that word again, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace. How? Through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on, uh, in, on earth or things in heaven, though you were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, Right? We're hostile, we're enemies, engaged in evil deeds, yet you have now been reconciled uh, in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. Jesus came, God in the flesh. All the fullness of deity uh, dwelt in him in bodily form, and through Christ God reconciled all things to himself through the blood of his cross, through the Savior's death. It is the gospel, you see. This is what the angels were proclaiming. Peace among men. Peace with heaven. Through the death of his son. That's why Peter told Cornelius in Acts 10 that he was preaching peace through Jesus. That's why Paul in Ephesians 6 called the gospel the gospel of peace. Again, this is the peace that the angels talked about is the peace that Jesus came to bring. There's nothing wrong with Christmas, save the way that we have polluted it and focused on man. Somehow, again, hijacked it to, to make it seem like, again, watching the sappy videos, making it seem like that Christmas is all about us getting along. That's not what Christmas is about. That may be the result. It's not what Christmas is about. Advent peace is not man being at peace with man. It is God reconciling with man, taking the steps to make that necessary. Peace on earth and in heaven. This peace was produced, made available through the reconciling work of Christ. But now, finally, let's not miss this. How is this peace acquired? Is this peace for everyone on earth? In a manner of speaking, it is, but it must be accepted. It must be appropriated. Notice back in Romans 5, therefore, having been justified, how? Through faith, we have peace with God. Justification, that is, being declared righteous, propitiation, appeasing the wrath of God uh, 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 against us. Salvation, being saved from sin and its eternal consequences, those are all appropriated or acquired by our faith in Jesus Christ. It is a 
free gift of God's grace to us extended to all who will believe by faith, who will believe that Jesus, uh, 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 believe what Jesus did on the cross is indeed true. His work was, eff- his work was effective and it is effective for you. And by turning from your sin, the sin that placed you squarely in the enemy's camp, by placing your faith and trust in Jesus as the Savior of your soul, you can be reconciled to God. You can be redeemed. You can know what this Advent peace is all about. If you're looking for some holly jolly Merry Christmas peace, it will be gone by January. But I have a peace to offer you that will be here 12 months of the year every year the rest of your life. Then and only then, Ephesians 2, which says, we who are far off, separated from Christ, will be brought near by the blood of Christ, and then these words become true for us. He himself is our peace. So as we close this morning, let me ask this question again. Where is this peace the angels heralded? First Advent peace is internal. It is not necessarily to be found out here. Don't fake it. It's not found with a cessation of wars and conflict. That's not going to happen until the Prince of Peace comes on a white horse, waging war, Revelation 19 says, with a sword coming from his mouth, robe dipped in blood, Written on, him, written on him, King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, real peace is the result of righteousness. And righteousness comes when we are reconciled to God. It's found in the hearts and minds of men and women where the kingdom of God can be found. It is evidenced in an un troubled, fearless heart. It does not matter what the challenges, the trials, the tribulations, the conflicts we are facing. We can have an internal peace, a peace the world cannot touch. Paul said it this way, the Lord himself, the Lord of peace himself will continually grant us peace in every circumstances, an inner settledness, a calmness, a serenity, a confidence because of being reconciled to God can offer you no greater message than this. You can have peace with God through justification, the knowledge of sins forgiven and cleansed by faith. You cannot earn it. It cannot be found anywhere else, but it is yours. It's a free gift. It is yours for the taking. This is what you see Christmas Advent peace is all about.